You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great, if you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Exodus and chapter 12. Exodus and chapter 12. Just while you're doing that, if I said that one word to you, I wonder what would go through your mind. If I said the word escape, if I said the, the word escape, what would it be going through your mind? Is it escape the relegation battle? You're already panicking about that if it's football. And you think, oh, I've got to escape there. Maybe you think, I just want to escape the city. You, you know, you've looked at the television and you think green fields and trees look very pleasant. I think clean air is overrated myself. But maybe you want to escape the city. Maybe you think, I'd love to get out. Maybe you think, I want to escape the rat run. I'm just fed up, Pete, of getting on the train week in, week out and, and heading into the city. If I said the word escape, what would you think? Uh, for me personally, I, I think of the great film, The Great Escape. I don't know, how, has anyone seen this film, heard the story? Prisoner of War Camp, 1943, 76, Prisoner of Wars, dig out, Steve McQueen on the motorbike, jumping over the barbed wire. If you've never seen it, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I just think, oh, what a great film. If you were a Jew, you would have thought about what we're going to read about this morning. If I'd have said to you, escape, you'd have thought, oh, there's one story that we could think about, and it will be this one, Exodus chapter 12. Some of you would have known of this story. Some of you might have seen the film recently, Exodus, Gods and Kings. It's basically when Moses leads the people through the Red Sea. I'm going to read it to us, Exodus 12, 1 to 13, I'm reading. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, that's his brother who are in Egypt, this month, is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. They are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Some of you, maybe your first week here, we've been looking at the series, Moses Made for More. We looked at the nine plagues last week. Some would say this was the tenth plague. I'm going to skip down to verse 29. 
At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And then I'm going to skip through slightly because I'm not going to read the whole thing, just picking up the story. So you'd have heard about this, this final plague, and then Moses gets to lead the people. And then basically this great escape, I guess as I've called it this morning, they get stuck, you could say, by the Red Sea. And then suddenly Pharaoh's armies are going to come charging after them, and they think, what's happened? We're going to pick up the story in Exodus 14 and verse 21. They've got the, the Pharaoh's army coming behind them. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots so they have difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Golly, you think, what a tragic story. What's this got to do today with Phil? We're trying to celebrate with Phil. Phil's going to come and tell his story. Phil's going to be getting baptized this morning. And, and it's almost like, how does this fit into what's going on? Well, I just want to take a few moments to look at this story, and hopefully you'll see how it all connects. This is the Passover. Some of you may have heard about the Passover. It still continues today. It's celebrated every year within the Jewish community, ever since about 1300 BC, which is when it was first taken place. This year, if you wanted to know when the Passover is, it's April the 3rd and goes through to April the 11th. It will be celebrated. It's repeated yearly. Why? Because this escape was so important, the Jews will still say, I've got to celebrate it. I've got to do something about it. I want to look at this Passover and think, what could we learn for us? The first thing I think we can learn about the Passover is that for the people there, it was a brand new start. I'm sure you heard the words as I went through them. It says, the first month of your year, a new year, a fresh start. Some of you may not be aware, but the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. I mean, that's a massive amount of time, isn't it? I mean, you know, I can't imagine that. What was happening in this country 430 years ago? But they'd been slaves all that time. And God suddenly said, look, this is going to be a new time. This is the great escape. This is going to be a new beginning. This is going to be a fresh start. This is not just turning over a new leaf. This is not even the beginning of a, a new year or a decade. 
I was thinking about it. The closest thing I could think about is I remember when we went to the millennium. You know, I remember 1999. We were just about to celebrate a new millennium. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling old now looking out on people. But there was going to be the millennium bug. Some of you might think, oh, goodness sake, did you really fall for that? We did. We thought every computer might stop in the country when it suddenly turned the millennium. People were stacking up on beans and sausages and everything because what if planes fall out of the sky? Now, you know, it all survived. But, you know, that seemed a massive great start in 1999. This would have been massive for these people. A total new beginning. This is historic Well, I think what Phil is celebrating today is historic. I think that becoming a Christian is not just turning over a new leaf. It's not just trying to get a little bit better. There's something historic and significant. In fact, when somebody who tried to live a good life spoke to Jesus, and and so, you know, he was trying to say, well, do do you think I've been good enough? Do you think I've done enough? Do you think I've earned enough? Do you think I could get to heaven? Jesus came back with a phrase that you might have heard of. You must be born again. He said that what's happening is so new, it's almost like a new baby, a complete new start. This is how they understood something of the Passover. This was a brand new beginning. This is what we're celebrating with Phil today. Now, is it just Phil? Well, if you go back to the Bible, we believe that this Passover was to involve every one, every one. It says that each man... A family, each person. See, the thing about this is everybody was to get involved. There was a choice to be made. You couldn't just hope that you got caught up in the crowd. I don't know about you. I quite like the whole thing of a crowd. There's something exciting about the crowd, isn't there? It all seems New Year illustrations, but I remember going up to Trafalgar Square. This is before, this is back in 1990. There you go, I'm really sure I'm aged now. And everyone went to Trafalgar Square rather than down by the river to celebrate the New Year. And basically the police had lines the whole way down Trafalgar Square on all the streets, and they searched you for all your bottles, which I guess was a good idea. You couldn't throw them, but it just meant you drank them all and then went in. So there was like... Tens of thousands of us in Trafalgar Square celebrating the new year. They used to have the cameras on. But the thing of this was, you could be stood there, and one moment I was here, and the next moment I was right past that pillar, and there was nothing I could do about it. Because if the crowd moved, you just went. And there's something, it's almost like, oh, there's something about the crowd that takes us. It wasn't like that here. It wasn't like, well, there's these people called the Israelites. We think there was over a million It wasn't like, well, maybe I'm just included because I'm one of the million. No, this was an individual response. Some people who've, guess, grown up in this country would say, oh, Pete, am I a Christian? After all, this was a Christian country. You might say, well, actually, am I a Christian? Because I did go to a church school. You might put on your form in the hospital, well, I think I'm a Christian because I don't think I'm anything else. Maybe you wouldn't put that at all. Maybe you'd put none. I guess this story tells us that every person had to opt in to the Passover. It wasn't something that was blanket. I found it interesting this week that all the other nine plagues, none of them went to Goshen. That's where the Israelites lived. But this one did. It didn't even matter if you claimed to be an Israelite. If you didn't actively take a hold of the blood, you weren't covered. 
There was something about individuals having to buy in, make a choice. I find it fascinating. It talks about they killed this animal. I guess it all seems barbaric, doesn't it? I mean, we all get our meat from Tesco's and it's all packaged. Whereas I guess they would just... Waitrose, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Freudian slip there. Yeah, we don't support Tesco's anymore. That would be the day. But anyway, they get a hold of this blood and they put it on the doorpost, don't they? And it's almost like... It seems a bit barbaric to us. You see, the door represented going into the person's home. I, I live at number 25. If you ring the doorbell at number 25, you come into my house. You ring it by mistake. I don't say come in here and go next door. I say, oh, you're looking for Rob and Teresa? They live next door. Go and ring their doorbell. Why? Because there was something about this is my house, this is my life, this is my personal response. So when the blood was put over the house, it was almost saying, I'm in. I choose to personally buy in. There was something of faith. You followed the instructions that God had said. God said, sacrifice the animal, get a plant, they call it the hyssop, dip it in there and and, and paint it on. By faith, you were choosing to accept this. Christianity, you can look at the facts. You can ask the questions. Alpha is a great place to ask your questions. You can read the books. You can ask other people. You can come to church. You can watch. But what Phil is ultimately saying is this morning, by faith, he wants to be included. He's made that decision, this personal picture. By faith. Funny, we we often think that's a strange thing, don't we? Why do you talk so much about faith at church? Well, I think as a society we believe in faith. We might call it something else. We've just celebrated faith day, haven't we? I mean, what was yesterday? Valentine's Day. You can't see love, can you? I mean, you hope they're still going to love you next year. It's a step of faith, isn't it? You might have brought those flowers and it might be completely wasted in a week's time. You might have taken them out for a meal or given them some chocolates or, goodness knows where else we're going on this. But it's almost love. It's this faith that I choose to make this step. I'm com- well, that's what it is with God. It's a faith step. It's not something arbitrary that we never do the rest of our life. Will we be those that believe? Each one had to believe. But, and this is the beautiful thing about it, and this is why I love the fact we're baptizing on a Sunday morning. They didn't believe on their own. They believed with others. Now, it doesn't tell us this, and I have to be careful because the Bible, I believe, is God's word, and other books I read are just helpful illustrations. They reckon in Jewish history since that you would celebrate a, a Passover with at least 10 other people. I don't know how much meat you like eating, but they reckon a lamb now covers 10. And so they would say, get together. And so here it was like, well, if you've got a lamb and it's too much for one house, get another house or invite a few single folk around. We don't want anyone being left on their own. We're all going to come in and take this together. It is a personal choice, but we celebrate it in community. And that's why it's great that we're baptizing Phil together. That's why I love the fact that there's a community, a sense of excitement about it. John Wesley, who uh, ended up founding the Methodist Church, says the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. It's not something, we, we could say it is something you know, that means so much to me. It is personal, but it's not private. It's something that we share with others. That's why we talk about having small group that you could go and connect in throughout the week. Because I believe the Passover was something of community together.
I guess the last thing I'd want to say this about everyone is I think it was something that was public. At the end of the day, you could walk down the street. I don't know what the streets were called then. Oh, they've got blood over there. Oh, they've got blood over there. Oh, they haven't got blood over there. I'm not going there tonight. There was something about you could walk down and you could see it. It would have been, you know, I, I don't know about you. They didn't put the blood on the inside. I mean, if you're white British, you would have done. Because that's the way we like to do things. bit understated. You know, actually, I'll get a little bit of blood. I'll just put it on the inside. <laughs> don't want to cause a fuss. Don't want anyone to see. But they weren't like this. It's almost like on the outside, it's this public declaration. This is what I'm believing in. God told me to do it, and I'm going to do it. This is why it's great. I thought, ah, oh, could I have had Phil round to my house and baptized him in the bath? Probably not, because he's a tall lad. You know what I'm saying? But you think, why, why would you, on earth would I want to do that? Because I'd love it, something public. Him to say, actually, this is me personally saying, I've made this escape. And then we learn about the fact that there's a lamb. It says a lamb perfect without defect. No broken bone. Now this wasn't a new concept to the Jews. They would have known their history. They would have known that when Abraham took his son Isaac up the mountain, he was about to kill him, that actually God called out and said, don't kill him. Here, offer this ram in the place. They understood something of sacrifice. But actually, we're not supposed to look back to Abraham when we look at this. We're supposed to look forward to Jesus. Because we know that this whole picture of the Passover actually points forward to what Jesus has done. The Gospel of John, there's four Gospels. They're in the New Testament. New Testament is the sort of second half of the Bible after the life of Jesus and beyond. One of those is called John. And right from the beginning, John points out that Jesus was the Lamb of God. It's almost like Jesus fulfilled this picture. Jesus was the, the Lamb that was killed and his blood was shed for us. It says in John 1.29, John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In fact, later on in the Gospel of John, it's in John 19, it even talks about when Jesus was killed, they put a spear in his side to check that he was dead. What they often used to do in those days when they crucified someone is they used to break their legs because if they broke their legs, they couldn't breathe and they died quicker. But Jesus didn't need his legs broken. And John records this. These things happen so that the Scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken because you didn't break the bones of a sacrificial lamb. And so there was something that we can look forward to this and just think, wow, this is a whole picture that's painting of Jesus and what Jesus will do for us. Paul writes about it in Corinthians. Um, what 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's almost like he took all the things, sins, what would that be? It would be anything less than perfection. Anything you say, think, or do that is not perfect. Let's be honest, some of you have done it about 10 times since I've been speaking. Don't like the color of his shirt. Don't like the fact he keeps walking about. You know what I'm saying? Don't like the person next to me. You know, the, the, we, the things we think can be sin. The things that we say can be sin. He, as the perfect lamb, takes the punishment for our sin. This was the picture that they would have understood. It's quite a horrific picture. He didn't just give a little bit of his blood. 
It's not a blood bank that we're talking about when it comes to Jesus Christ. It's not like, well, actually, I gave a pint of my blood and I tried to help somebody else with that. I know I've got ten pints and I've got another nine. Actually, the lamb was slaughtered. That meant complete sacrifice. Jesus completely came to the cross and died for us. Sometimes in the church we sing the song, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so this great escape that we're looking at this morning and that we're thinking about with Phil, I guess the final point I want to bring out of the Passover is this. It was the start of a journey. When they were to eat the Passover, they basically had to put their coats on. It's like, no, no, come on, get your coats on. Why are you sat down? Stand up. I don't want you eating this sat down. This was not like a TV meal. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just chilling. It wasn't a romantic meal. They weren't lighting candles looking into one another's eyes, whispering empty nothings. You know what I'm saying? No, no. This was like, put your shoes on. Put your coat on. Because if you take this, this is the start of an adventure. The Passover wasn't just, oh, well, that's it, done. If you become a Christian... It's the start of a journey. It's the start of an adventure. This is what we're celebrating with Phil this morning. It's not, oh, you just put your feet up and it's done. Who knows where this adventure's going to go? I've often said in this church, and I will say it again and again, Christianity is not a crutch for the weak. It's a machete for the adventurous. It's like, what's God going to call you to do? Who knows what God is going to call you to do? That's the journey that we sign up on. If we think about this picture, that was the picture of the Passover. You know, it's not like, oh, Phil, job done. Just sit back now. Wait until God gives you a, I don't know, nice cloud, big harp, nothing else to do. You're, you're saved. No, actually, the journey's just begun. It's almost like, Phil, come on, get your shoes on. Get your coat on. Let's get ready for action. This is what this picture would have been. In many respects, if you get in the waters of baptism, you've signed up for the Bear Grylls Academy in the spiritual world. Who knows what maggots you... No, no, we're not going to go there, but who knows where you're going to go and what you're going to eat and what you're going to do. That's part of the picture. So we've got this Passover. That was the first part of the picture. The second part was the crossing of the Red Sea. The Bible tells us that God blows this wind All night long, water piles up either side. I don't know what it was like. I'd love to have been there. I remember showing my kids the the cartoon one, the Prince of Egypt. I don't know if you've seen it. There, there's two walls of water, probably about as wide as this room. There's a shark swimming in one. I mean, I don't know if they had sharks. I thought it was quite a nice little, you know, theatrical thing. The commentaries reckon that the path was at least half a mile wide. How could they get... They reckon one, one and a half million people across the river in a night. You know, if they mathematically did it, mathematically, they do everything now, don't they? Worked out how many steps it would be. It would be at least half a mile. There would have been this massive great path, but this was something they celebrated forever. In Psalm 66, that's a book in the middle of the Bible. I guess it's the hymn book of the Old Testament. In Psalm 66, it says, He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Let us rejoice. Why? Because that's how great God was. They would often look back at the crossing of the Red Sea as this picture. Isaiah, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. 
He says this, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross? I guess this whole crossing of the Red Sea, it became a logo, you could almost say. I guess if I put this logo straight up on here, you just shout the word as soon as you see the picture. It's not difficult. Surely there's more people that know the Apple products than that. Okay, this logo. Yeah, London 2012, three years ago. Can you believe it? Doesn't time fly? This picture. You see, the reality is, if you saw those, you, you know what it stands for. If you understood the crossing of the Red Sea, you understood what this symbol was all about. What was it all about? I believe it was all to do with baptism. I'm not alone on that. You can understand that. It says, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 10, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see, I think what had happened is the slaves, yeah, remember they'd been slaves for 430 years. When they left Egypt, they were free. But I believe that this picture of baptism, this crossing the Red Sea, was a symbol of their freedom. Why do I say that? Well, I think there was a a massive great picture. So often when you look at a logo and you think, the tick, it tells you night before anything else. You think of baptism, it declares what's happened in somebody's life. I think they were already saved by the time they'd got to the sea. And yet, actually, there was something hugely symbolic in it. I read just this week of a group of Afghanis that became Christians. The local imam didn't mind that. But when they got baptized, decided this was enough and we're going to stop them. Because there's something powerful in the picture that thought, this goes beyond just a getting wet. You see, when you go into the pool, and, and you'll be able to see in a moment, we're all going to go and pile around the pool. It's meant to be like a grave, really. You're meant to go down into the waters of baptism. That declares you've died to your old life. And when you come up, that declares that you live the new life again. That's what these people were doing. In many respects, when they approached the Red Sea, they were going into it. They were declaring Egypt, slavery, it's behind us. They got to the other side of the Red Sea, the sea closed, and they thought, this is it. We're going on. There was a massive picture. The picture of baptism said this. The past is dead. I don't know about you, but we struggle a bit with this, don't we? I don't know if you've seen the film, Exodus, Gods and Kings, but actually Pharaoh there does escape. We don't read that in the Bible. What the Bible declares is that everyone who went in after them died. Oh, God, that seems a bit barbaric, doesn't it? Well, you see, what it tells me is that when I've come through the other side, the whole of my life in the past has been dealt with. I don't know what guilt you carry from the past. We're not going to ask Phil to disclose all of his life before we got baptized. But what we do know is this, that in Jesus, when we come to Jesus, the whole of the past is dealt with. Whoa, you mean that's all completely washed away? Yeah. 
In church history, they've done baptism in lots of different ways. There was one period where they'd only do it in running water. And the idea was that literally as you got in there, they felt that the sins were washed off you and taken downstream. I was thinking, how could we make that more authentic? I was going to hose Phil down this morning as he stood there, you know, just boom, power blasting, that's it. Let's get the old jet cleaner off. You go, Phil, he's dirty, this boy, isn't he? You know? No, actually, it's not to do with the water. It's to do with the past. The past has been dealt with. When the Israelites came the other side of the Red Sea, oh, I'm no longer under Pharaoh anymore. It's funny, because when they stood before the Red Sea, they looked back and they panicked. Pharaoh's coming. Why did Pharaoh come? Because Pharaoh wanted to own them again. But when they crossed the Red Sea, and the water's gone, they thought, my past has been dealt with. If Pharaoh's not going to touch me now, I'm going. I think this is hugely powerful. I think us getting baptized, there's a sense of saying, wow, my past has been completely dealt with. There is complete victory. Not because of me, but because of him. How else did this crossing the Red Sea help them? I think it helps them live in the present rather than be nostalgic about their past. You see, they suddenly come through and they realize, we're going to trust God for everything. God is my savior. They sing about it. Miriam, which is Moses' sister, takes the next chapter. We're not going to be looking at that. And she just starts this great song going. A bit like Abby started a song this morning. Why she's so overwhelmed with what God has done, she can't help but sing. I tell you, when, when you get baptized, you suddenly realize, God, my life is different today. I, I can believe for difference today. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is what we celebrate. And thirdly, I think baptism helped them look for a better future. Because once they've crossed the Red Sea, where was their eye? Well, if you know anything of the Bible, you know it was on the promised land. You know that God had said, look, I've got this inheritance for you. I want you to have the promised land. So once they'd crossed the sea and the sea had climbed, where are we going? We're heading for the inheritance that God's got for us. There's a bright future that we look ahead to. And I think that's what it means to be a Christian. What it means is that my past has been dealt with. I can trust God for my present. I'm looking forward with hope and a future. I'm still not sure if it should be called The Great Escape. If any of you have seen the film or you've read the story, you know one fact which actually led to disaster. They guesstimated the length from prison to the woods, which is where they were trying to tunnel, wrong. So they ended up coming up 20 yards too soon. And when they came up, obviously, <laughs> they started getting spotted. 76 people made it out on the Great Escape. At least 50 were killed instantly. And I kept thinking... Why? Because in their own efforts, they couldn't quite make it to the woods. And I feel like there's almost a picture for us. It's not our great escape. If I really had to describe this, I would say it's the great grace of God. You see, Phil getting baptized, it's not about Phil being good. I mean, he's got a lovely beard, and he does look a really nice guy. But does that mean he's going to get into heaven? I don't think so. It's nothing to do with what Phil has done. It's what God has done for Phil. 
So that's why we come, and some of you might think, turn up a church and why do you sing so much? Oh, happy day. I thought that was just about oven chips, but obviously it was started in church. The song is actually the happy days we realize what God has done for us. I mean, he's dealt with all the things I've done wrong. Absolutely. He gives me certainty for the present. Absolutely. He gives me hope for the future. Absolutely. Now, the challenge with all of this is it's just like the Passover. Will you choose to get involved? Do you think, oh, I've turned up at church and therefore, oh, hopefully I'm covered, Pete? Or have you personally ever got involved? We always have these booklets lying around. I know people sort of say, oh, I can't remember everything you said. I understand that. But hopefully you'll be able to look something up. In one of these booklets, Why Jesus, they're on the desk there at the back. There is a prayer. It's on page 18. It says this, Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you, you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. To become a Christian basically means you said, I've prayed that and I mean it for myself. Now, I don't know what the adventure is going to look like for you. But I do think there's some hope for the future and there's God's presence for now. If you have never, ever prayed that, I'd love to pray with you. You might have thought, I'm going to say that even while people say, speak to me at the end. Take these booklets. They're free. You see, we love to baptize Phil today, but maybe it'd be you next time. Maybe you say, oh, golly, Pete, I'd never realized the significance of it. I'd never realized the importance of it. I never realized what, what God has done. It's not about me escaping. It's about his grace to me. That blows my mind. Anyway, as I said, we're baptizing Phil. We're really looking forward to that. As part of it, we asked Phil to come and share his story about why would he like to get baptized. Now, I know that we want the kids to hear this. You've got a moment or two, Phil. We're just going to ask our kids to come back in. So maybe if someone could go and grab the kids. If you've got the young kids, that's under five, you probably need to give them a hand back. If they're the older kids group, they'll walk them down. So I'll just explain. Phil will now come out and tell his story. Why are we going to be baptizing him? We're going to listen to that. We will then pray for Phil. We believe that God answers prayer. And then after that, we will all go to the back corner. I'm just warning you, so if you sit on the back two rows, you thought you could hide from me, we're going to have to move those two rows in. So we'll ask you to move all your stuff on those two back rows. We'll push those chairs in. And then I'd like everybody, once Phil's told his story and we've prayed, we're going to gather around the pool and we will baptize him. And then we will come back and the band will just lead us in a song. Uh, before our meeting is finished. So that's it. Now, it may be that you're here and you think, Golly, Peter, I'd like to get baptized. You think, I can't wait. That's great. This is my friend Adam. He's sat in the front row, second row. If you think you'd like to get baptized this morning, you speak to Adam. And if you think, hey, I can't do it this morning. I'd love to do it another time. Just sidle up to Adam. He would love to hear from you. Because we think, hey, this is a wonderful, wonderful, powerful picture of what God has done for us. And many in this room have already been baptized, but we don't want to deny that opportunity to those that truly love him. 
I am now waffling. I'm just waiting for the kids to come in. Rather than listen to me, just turn and say hello to someone next to you for about one minute. And as soon as we've got all the kids back, then I will call us back together.